that reading from Acts chapter 16, Paul's speech. It only took us a few minutes to, to read through what he said, even just that part, a part of that reading. But I think sometimes the biblical writers, they summarize. I have a funny feeling that Paul might have expanded and taken maybe 10 or 15 minutes easily to say the things he said. But Luke, who wrote Acts, is summarizing what he said to us. So let's, as we come to to look at this word, let's see if we can expand upon it, the truths that are in there, embedded, summarized in what Paul has said. Let's just pray. Lord, we come to you now and we ask that that you would use the words spoken, use what is preached, use what we hear, Lord, to speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, may we not just hear words, but may we hear and feel and know your Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. In our series on following Jesus, as pilgrims through this world, we come to the the topic which is where people are desperately seeking God. They might not always know it, but that's what God intends for them to be doing. To reach out, to hopefully find him. But the question is, when we're following Jesus, when we're looking out at a world which doesn't seem to have that much good in it, people naturally ask the question, how can God allow so much suffering in the world? How can God allow suffering and war in the world? That's a very good question. It's a tough question. And it deserves more than just a one-line quip or a one-line answer just to people have a question. And there's always somebody, there's always a Christian who'll just give a one-line answer and just, there you go, just take that and off you go. But... We shouldn't be giving flippant answers to difficult questions. Instead, it takes more care, more consideration, more engagement with the person to to find out where are they coming from? Why are they asking this question? What do they mean when they ask this question? Over two years ago, we were all, to various extents, a bit stressed about Brexit. Are they going to get some negotiation, some resolution on the, the protocol? Or is there going to be an agreement? But in a sense, when the, the ink was still drying on it, we had no time to relax because COVID-19 was just around the corner. It started in China, came to Europe, and it's gone to every country in the world. In the meantime, the price of food, which had already been rising, has, with supply difficulties, producers struggled to get workers, and then there were transport issues. The price of food has, has gone up. We were struggling. And life got more stressful. But in January, we thought, well, with Omicron here, this is the beginning of the end. It's about to change. Things are going to get better. But then along came the war in Ukraine. 
People are streaming out of Ukraine into neighboring countries. The indiscriminate attacks on towns and cities is distressing, where people are living with cut-off electricity. They've got no heating, no water. They've got very little access to food. Some have run out. They're sheltering in basements or underground stations because it's too dangerous to live above ground all the time. <laughs> Not only are refugees struggling as they try to leave their hometowns, civilians and soldiers are being are killed, they're dying in a war that seems so barbaric, so destructive, so futile. And it doesn't just impact the people who are in Ukraine or are coming out of it. With Ukraine not being able to send grain to other countries, the price of grain has has risen 50% or even 75% for some countries. So the price of animal feed goes up. The, they, they can't get the chemicals to make fertilizer. And that's going to push the price of, of food up in many countries. Between Russia and Ukraine, they supplied about a quarter of the grain for the whole world. And now that's under threat. And some people are talking about the likelihood of famine in some countries like in Africa. The economic sanctions in Russia are making life very difficult for people there. And closer to home, well, with the price of heat and oil going up and food and all kinds of other things, life has become more difficult in the last few weeks on top of everything that had gone there beforehand. And many people are asking not just how they cope, they're asking, how can God allow this to happen? How do we answer? Well, we might, or some people might be tempted to give a theological answer, a quick answer that, the kind of answer that you might put down if you're in an exam in a, in a Bible college, a theoretical answer. How does God allow suffering why do these things happen and you can put down a really good answer in an essay and get good marks but that's not how we always ought to respond to people we need to ask who is speaking and why they're asking that question if a mother coming across the border a checkpoint with her children wondering if she'll ever see her home again or her husband again asks why does God allow this it's likely she's not even looking for an answer. She's just expressing her pain and her sorrow. And that isn't the time for answers. Just like when somebody is bereaved and they ask the question, why did this happen? That is not the time for giving a theological answer. That's the time for just being there, for helping them out, for just, in a sense, putting an arm around them Helping them through, just being there. For those leaving Ukraine, it means taking them towards a shelter, getting them food, getting them into a safe place, giving them compassion, showing them something of God's love through us. And sometimes we don't give an answer when people ask that question. 
at other times there are people who are watching the news maybe and they're not in such dire situation but they're still wondering how can God allow this they're not asking from a, from a situation of trauma they're asking because they genuinely want to know to them we offer reasonable answers but it shouldn't be so much of a well you've asked a question let me give you a sermon Let's, <clears throat> let me give you an answer a theological answer sometimes it's more of a conversation as we help people to learn a little bit more about God about his ways and sometimes this conversation might not <clears throat> be over in one setting, one session it can happen over a period of encounters, a period of weeks our concern shouldn't be that we give the perfect answer our concern should be that the person we're talking to comes to a greater understanding of God the ways of God and the hope that we have in God course there's always some who don't want an answer at all when they say how can God allow these things to happen they're not looking for an answer they're just ex expressing a way of blaming God and to them as the Proverbs tell us sometimes the best thing to do is just not to answer not to engage somebody in their folly but in helping people to see the answer, we need not just to give them good answers to tough questions. We can sometimes point people to a web page that gives a really good answer to a situation, but sometimes we need to help them. And that often comes not just by giving them answers, but by helping them have a different perspective. How often have you struggled maybe with a situation and all you can see is the situation before you, almost blinkered, it's, you can see nothing else. And then later on, or maybe somebody helps show you the bigger picture. And you see, well, it wasn't all the way I thought it was. The issue of perspective is really important in tackling things like this. Just as a trivial example, almost of how perspective can help. There's a story told about how two bricklayers were plodding away at their work. They're building this hospital. And some children were nearby. And, Mister, what are you doing? One of them asks. And one of the builders says, I just come here in the morning. I put one brick on top of the other. And when I'm finished, I go home. And they were very... Star. they weren't very happy they weren't engaged in what they were doing it was a 9 to 5 they didn't care about what they were doing but the other builder they asked him what he was doing because he seemed more cheerful uh, he says as I put one brick on top of another I'm helping to build a hospital and each day each brick each day I come here to work it's another day closer to when children and others are going to be able to be helped by the doctors and the nurses that are going to be in this place that we're building. And so that makes me happy to come to work each day. They were both doing the same thing, both in the same situation, but their perspective was completely different. 
consider the change of perspective that we read of in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, (coughs) but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't just say, bring your requests to God. He says, bring your requests with thanksgiving. Whenever we're praying and we're asking God, God, please sort this situation out. Please sort this situation that I'm in out. Our perspective is just us and our situation. And God is there just to help us. But if we give thanksgiving, we have to take the focus off us and our narrow situation and think, well, thank you, God, for how you've helped in the past. Thank you, God, that you're a good God. Thank you, God, for how I can come to you. Thank you, God, that you speak. Thank you, God, that you care. Thank you that, well, we can thank God for so many different things. And suddenly our eyes are lifted out of our, off of our immediate circumstances and our eyes are lifted up to heaven. And the more we thank God, the more we praise him and worship him, the more for a while our eyes are not on us and our situation. We're looking at him and we can have joy in our hearts even despite our difficulties. And so a change of perspective can really make a lot of difference even if our circumstances don't change. Paul continues to encourage a change of perspective and to get us to focus on what is right and good. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. When we're thankful, when we're focusing upon what is good and pure and true, we will have the peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God will be with us. In practice, what does that mean for us? How much do we have to change what we watch, what we listen to? It might mean we have to regulate how much time we're spending watching the news or scrolling on the internet. As one of the reporters was saying the other day, people are glued to their phones, doom scrolling, as she said. Just scrolling down to see what the the news, what the doom is. There's a place for that. But when we're doing that all the time, there's no room for thanksgiving. There's no room for seeing God. When it comes to life-threatening situations... Or situations, general situations in which we need God's help. Sometimes people talk about having a guardian angel. That we're not just to think about being on our own. Think about God being in the picture. He gives a guardian angel. Well, I'm not too keen on the idea of a guardian angel. Because I think God's bigger than that. 
I think God isn't limited to one angel per person. Sometimes he's got a whole load of angels helping just even one or two people. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read of a situation where Elijah, Elisha and his assistant were in a, a city called Dothan. And the king of Israel was an evil king. He was an ungodly king and he wanted to capture Elisha. So he ordered, he sent, ten, he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. O Lord, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? He says to Elisha. The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The army of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, was there protecting Elisha and his servant. The servant couldn't see it initially. He could just see the danger. But Elisha knew that the Lord was there to protect them. And so too we are in situations like that sometimes where it looks as though the worst is about to happen to us. Whatever our fear is, it's just up before us. But that's leaving God out of the picture. That's not having the perspective with God in control. Sometimes the perspective that we have with if we're in imminent danger of death, as many people are in Ukraine, if we see death as something that is exclusively negative, then we're not seeing the bigger picture as well. For those who have trusted in the Lord, as Paul says, I'm torn between wanting to stay here and minister to you and the church he was writing to, or to die and go to heaven and be with Jesus. That's far better. Even death is not a negative thing when seen in the light of eternity. Although for those who are left behind, it is certainly a sorrowful thing. When we change our perspective, we can see things very differently. Instead of asking how could, allow God, how could God allow this to happen, we could sometimes say, well, thank you God that you haven't allowed this to happen for so long before now. Thank you that you've restrained evil for so, so long. Thank you that there haven't been more dictators in the world. Thank you that the world hasn't been as bad as it could be. Because given the sin that's in our hearts, if God had taken the brakes off our sin, the sin of mankind, who knows where we could have been careering. There was no restraints before the flood. And the intentions of the thoughts of everyone's hearts was evil continually. God started again and he has put restraint in place. We should be thanking him for that. 
But one of the things in particular that I'd like us to focus on in Acts 17, Paul's letter or Paul's speech to the Athenians, is the issue of how God allows things to happen to people because he addresses that in that speech. The boundaries of the nations he speaks about. There's so much we can learn from Paul's encounter at Mars Hill. At Athens, the philosophers, uh, the, the elite classes, the ruling classes, they, they wanted to hear every new thought. And so they got people to come up to Mars Hill and give them a talk. It was like the ancient equivalent of a TED talk. Come up and give us a talk and let's listen and entertain us with what you've got to say. But Paul had done his homework. He had researched the culture. He wasn't just going to give them answers. He wasn't just going to give them a general speech that he would have given in different places. He didn't do that. Paul modified how he presented the gospel. He didn't change the gospel. He modified how he shared it. And here he was talking to the Greeks, not the countrymen, not the farmers. He was talking to the intellectuals. And so he adapted his approach. But he did his homework. He realized that they had so many different gods. They were trying to make sure that the god of fertility, the god of grain, the god of rain, the god of the wind, the god of the sea, they were all given offerings to different altars, to all these different, loads of different gods. Because they were living in fear. If they didn't appease a god, then think bad things would happen to them. And just in case there was some god that they hadn't appeased, they, they put up this altar to the unknown god. And Paul uses that as an opening. He says, listen, there is a god that you haven't known, and I'm going to tell you about him. He taps into their culture. He understands them. He knows where they're coming from. And so similarly, when we're talking to people, we should get to know how they're thinking it's not enough for us to simply say what we want to say. We need to see how can they understand what they need to hear so we can relate to them. So Paul used that as a stepping stone to be able to explain to them about God. And there's a number of things I'd like us, there's more in this letter, in this encounter, than we can tease out today. But there's a number of things I'd like us to see. Firstly, he says that God made the world and everything in it. This was God's world. He created it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Paul went on to say, reading between the lines, which maybe Luke doesn't record for us, that it was good. Everything that God made was good. This world was created by God. But when we look around, we don't see it being good. We see nation at war against nation. We see community opposing other communities. We see individuals and families at loggerheads with each other. Where did all this come from? The reality is that between the devil and mankind, we brought sin into the world. We brought destruction, fallenness, brokenness into this world. And people love darkness rather than coming to the light. But 
Nevertheless, it's still God who gives life and breath to everything and it's him who satisfies every need. It's not us. And it's certainly not the devil. All good things come down from our Heavenly Father, James tells us. If we've experienced anything good in life, even if it's from another person, that has ultimately been God's gift, God's blessing to us. It's him who gives all that is good. And he tells us that from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. When you look at the world, if you look at a map with different countries on it, all you see is borders and divisions. And we are divided. The world is divided. Communities are divided. Individuals are divided. But God made us all one at the start. And he is making us again anew. He is bringing together a people from all tribes, all nations, all languages, all tongues. To be one people again. United without division, without enmity, without opposition. In a new world. We have caused a division. He is bringing restoration. The devil has brought death. Well, as Jesus says, the thief referring to the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the midst of all the brokenness of the world, people ask, where's God in it? He is recreating, he is inviting people, he is making things new. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, the nations And he determined their boundaries. As we look out in general in life, we see one person gets a good job, another person loses a job. One nation seems to have an economic prosperity, like the Celtic tiger. Another nation seems to be struggling with famine. One country is a safe haven, another is a battlefield. How can God allow this? Well, what we're told here in Acts 17, verse 26, is that although God is not the creator and the doer of evil, he is still in control. And he has allowed us to have freedom of will. And he has allowed us to do what we do, to suffer the consequences at times, to reap the benefits at other times. Sometimes he allows situations to happen that we don't like. At other times he blesses us with prosperity by his grace. But why doesn't he always give us peace and prosperity in this life? Why does he allow suffering and war at times? Is that unkind? Is he not able to help? Well, it's not unkind or unjust and he is able to help. But these things are our fault, not his. So we need to blame the right person, first of all. It's us and ultimately the devil who introduced sin into the world and keeps stirring the pot. Let's blame each other and let's blame the devil. Let's not blame God. Instead, we should thank him for his restraining hand rather than complaining to him. 
But why does he allow some situations to be better than others? Well, firstly, we know that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. God is working together all things for the good in a way which we can't see. There's a famous illustration of somebody looking at a tapestry in, in old castles in the years ago. If you wanted to illustrate maybe a story, you would make a big tapestry. It would fill the size of the wall. And when people are putting this tapestry together, you would have people working on one side and people working on the other. Needles going through from one side and poking through to the other. The people on the back side of it, all they see are disconnected threads. They don't see the picture. They don't see much sense in all that's happening. And that's like the world the way we see it now. But someday God's going to take us and show us the other side. We're going to see the picture. We're going to see the story. We're going to see how he had been working to bring good from all things. For example... In Genesis, we read Genesis chapter 50. We read the, about how Joseph, when he was eventually talking to his brothers, about how they had done him so much harm. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was beaten up, thrown down a well, left for dead, but they thought, well, let's make some money out of him. Let's sell him into slavery. And he suffered an awful lot. But his ordeals were such that God was using him and positioning him to be in a situation where he would be the saviour of Egypt. He would be the saviour of other countries when there was a time of famine, including his own family. And Peter, with a similar thought in mind, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and he preaches to the Jews, he said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified Jesus, but God has made him Lord and Christ. He has risen him from the dead, but you meant for evil, God meant for good. The devil thought that he had defeated Jesus, We've killed him. But he didn't realize that in the death of Jesus, he would atone for sin. He would rise again from the dead. He would conquer death. The devil thought he had beaten Jesus, but he meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God allows things so that we might find him. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is calling people to himself. He's doing through, so through the gospel. He's doing so through circumstances. He cares for us. He cares for this world. He loves us. Even though people don't love him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves those who don't love him. 
Jesus died for those who don't deserve him. And he did it so that we would not perish, but have eternal life. And when we look to, to Jesus with the eyes of faith, we are forgiven. We are adopted into his family. We receive the Holy Spirit. And we have a glorious future ahead. No matter what our situation now, as John wrote in Revelation 21, about in the future that they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God won't be at a distance. He'll be with us. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For this old order of things will have passed away. God is gracious. He is loving. But his love and his grace is bigger than just sorting out our situations here and now. He has a bigger, better plan for eternity. And he is inviting each of us to turn to him. He calls us, but we don't pay attention. He allows situations to happen, but do we respond turning to him? C.S. Lewis has written those famous words in his book, The Problem of Pain. And he summarizes and says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. God is shouting to a world that has ignored him. Because he knows that their bigger need is eternity to not perish. It's painful sometimes here and now to suffer. But just like it's painful to go through an operation of our course of medicine, that can heal us. We need eternal healing. And so God calls out to us through our circumstances, through our difficulties. As Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls people who are fleeing a war zone to turn to him. He calls people who are struggling just with the, the price of petrol to turn to him. He calls people all over the world to come to him. In his grace and in his mercy. He is good. He is loving. It might be the kindness through other people that God helps people. That points us to his love. It might be the difficulties we face. That points us to our need for his protection. These are signs of his eternal grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. If we've trusted in him, thank him. For his grace and mercy. If we haven't trusted in him yet. Turn to him now. And then we will be able to know. That comfort. That that comes from God. As Paul tells us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion. And the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. 
so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your love towards us. Lord, forgive us for our sins. You know they're far more serious than we think they are. But yet your love is far bigger than we could even imagine. Lord, we thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Lord, that terrible suffering that Jesus suffered on the cross. Alienation from God. We cannot imagine that. But we thank you that through his suffering, through his death, Lord, our sins are forgiven. And we thank you by rising again from the dead, he has conquered death so that we can look forward to eternal life if we trust in him. Lord, we thank you that you have all things in control and you're working all things for good. Help us, Lord, to see things from your perspective and to give you praise and glory as we reach out the hand of help to those who are in need. In Jesus' name, amen.